So we're going to read in Exodus chapter 36, starting in verse 1. We're going to go 1 through 7. Now it says, uh, the Lord was, has gifted um, Bezalel in Aholiab. First off, that's some awesome names right there. If you're looking for baby names, I mean, just imagine, um, you know, the announcer saying, uh, and Bezalel comes in for the tackle, you know? I mean, it just sounds awesome. Uh, Aholiab, I don't know. That one might be, you might kind of put that on a lower list, but it says that they, them and other skilled craftsmen, um, he gifted them with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved to, into building the sanctuary. Now, I know this is Old Testament, but this gives some insight into the New Testament and you and I right here that God has gifted you. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, like it says that you have spiritual gifts, like supernatural powers within you. Like, hey, he's gifted you in these areas. Use them and he's going to speak through you to exercise those things. Well, here they are. They're building a sanctuary. It says, let them construct and furnish the tabernacle just as the Lord commanded. So Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and all the others who were specifically gifted or specially gifted by the Lord. And they were eager, they're excited to get to work. Now Moses gave them materials donated by the people of Israel um, as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts. So like they're just really into this giving thing here. It says they, they're bringing it every single morning, morning after morning. They're bringing more stuff. And finally, the craftsmen who are working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and, and reported. They said the people had given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord had commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, stop giving to the church. Go, go ahead. You can say this. Have fun with it. Have fun with it. All right. Turn to your other neighbor because they feel left out. Say, stop giving to the church. So it's, a, it's an odd passage. I've, you probably never heard a pastor say that before. Um, but here's Moses saying this to the people. Stop giving. So the, so the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings and their contributions, and there were more than enough to complete the whole project. Now, um, I'm not, I'm not going to be foolish here and, and say stop giving to the church uh, today, um, but we are going to talk about generosity. We are going to talk about money, but I also want to talk about like the vision behind Freedom Church and, and generosity and what we preach here, because to me, it is kind of a stop giving thing, because it, I don't want our money and any sort of giving or generosity to be some sort of obligation or task or thing that we just, oh, we do and begrudgingly. Um, I have a vision for a generous culture where, where generosity is not something that we do. Uh, a generous person is who I am. And that's the culture that I want to um, embody in myself, but also for our church. And so as we talk about this, um, I, I, I don't want it to be some drive-by guilting, right, that you can get from, from a church. And I'm probably guilty of this. Um, I want to speak my heart about giving, but I don't want to guilt you into giving. That's, that's not the, the point at all in what I want to communicate. Now, when I talk about um, money, um, this is something that I didn't always practice. Like the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, 9, and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. 
Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. I mean, amen to that, right? But I didn't always understand this. Um, I, it, was, it was to me some things that um, it, it doesn't quite make sense. Quite, quite honestly, as we talk about this, generosity is backwards. It is, it is not natural for any of us to say, oh, well, I want to be, be generous. Um, like my, my son right now, we're starting to do an allowance, and we're trying to teach him how to um, deal with money. Did we do, did we do payday today yet? Uh, Sunday's payday. No, not yet? Okay. So um, they have some things they got to do to earn some money. And then uh, Rita talked with them just last week or a week or two ago, said, hey, what do you think about, you made, you made $10 this week. Great job. What, what do you think about maybe taking one of those dollars and, and either giving it to the church or maybe helping somebody else or, you know, kind of giving it away? And the reaction we got was the reaction you expect. Like, you're the stu- that's the stupidest idea that I've ever ever heard, right? It's not natural to be generous. And so for me, um, it was, to me, when I got this, and this is kind of where I want to help us a little bit, when I finally got this, it unlocked some things in my life. Because sometimes we can do some things that drive us um, to where we get, we, we're making ourselves sick and we don't even know that. Like for Thanksgiving, okay, Thanksgiving meal, one of my favorite meals of the year, just shout it out to me because I need some participation back and forth today. You can put this online. What's some of your favorite Thanksgiving dishes? Mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. What's that? Green bean casserole. Green bean casserole. Turkey cranberries. Stuffing. Stuffing, okay. Pecan pie, anybody? Okay, let's know who I'm working with here. Who's pumpkin pie? Pumpkin pie? Pecan pie. Okay, it's a little both, both, like we do it all. Okay, so that was me. I remember uh, a couple years ago, we went to go visit some family, and uh, we're making stuff, and I wanted to make a homemade pecan pie. And so I researched how to do it, and I, I, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not a pie maker, but I'm like, I want this. I'm pecan pie. That was my thing. That was my jam that year. And so I did it, and um, I, I, I made it. Now, it tasted terrible. I learned. Just go buy the pecan pie. Uh, don't try to make my own homemade one, but I made it, and I was like, I'm going to eat this thing. And not only that, but I'm like, I'm the pecan pie, pumpkin pie guy. I'm the green bean casserole, like the whole turkey lunch, dinner, whatever, is like just a giant casserole. You just get a bite of everything and put it all together. So I'm doing this, right? And I'm rocking Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, and Rita knows, like, Mike, you can't do these things. And I should know. I'm like 40 years old. In about 10 minutes or so, I don't know, I hit a food wall that I didn't know existed. And I started to break out into a sweat. Um, I feel so stupid, but like I gorged on so much awesomeness in such a short amount of time. I literally made myself sick. I lost it all in the bathroom. And for the rest of Thanksgiving day, I didn't want to eat. I was just sick and miserable because I junked out on this food in about 10 minutes. I feel kind of the same way when it was with me uh, before I learned how did God want us to live our lives in, in according to with our money. Because I just lived as it was just for me. It was I, my money, my stuff. I'm gonna, and I thought I knew how best to use it. And I wasn't like desperately in debt or anything like that, but I was doing things that I didn't know were making myself sick. And there was a better way, like it says, to honor God. 
And as we go through this today, I really believe this isn't necessarily rules. Oh, well, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do that. I, when I see this principle of generosity, I think it's a principle of how God created us, and, and it's a spiritual principle of how God created life, that it's better to give than to get. It's, it's more blessed to, to give even though it seems like it's more natural to, to get. That's what we see happening right now in our world, right? It's a power grab. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to take. I want what's best for... But he's saying, no, 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 no. It's backwards. A life of generosity is how I... That's how you're going to live this blessed life. That's how you're going to find joy. That's how you're going to find peace. That's how you're going to find love. It's backwards, than what you would naturally think. It's backwards than what this world will tell you. And what does this, I mean, our culture, I mean, it doesn't take you, but you get on Facebook and you go through a few scrolls and you've already seen two, three Facebook ads feeding. How do they know? How do they know that I wanted to go travel to Mexico? And, you know, they, are they reading my brain? You know, all the, are they watching? Probably, who cares? I don't know. But like, they're feeding you things, saying, feed yourself, feed yourself, feed yourself. And we get it all in. So it's natural for us to want to go there. And, 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 and God's saying, hey, I kind of have this a, a, a backwards way. I want you to be able to trust me, to know that he can provide even when we have less. All right, so let's go back to Israel, okay? Israel and Exodus. We started out with these guys. They're given like crazy. You got Bezalel and Aholiab. They're like, hey, we got more than enough stuff to do the work. We're working like crazy. Awesome, but please stop. All right, let's review. Israel, they're in mobile church mode right here, okay? Exodus, they had just gotten out of slavery. They were in Egypt, in slavery. No hope, no hope. Of, of being saved, there was no army or country or nation bigger than Egypt that was going to come in and free them, all right? So they're stuck there in slavery, had been in bondage for 400 years. Then God, right? Then God enters the scene, what we have been praying for just a few moments ago. God enters the scene and miraculously gets them out of there. Now, before we go too crazy, let's just be honest about this. God comes and he saves them, but he saves them through a process. That's, that's, a, that's like a dirty word in the church. We want the miracle, but no process. But, but there was still process. In fact, I want to invite you to come back next week and the week after that, because we're going to journey on this faith journey that we've been doing, Unchained Faith as a series. We're going to talk about waiting next week. We're going to do some weight training, like you're going to get in the weight room and build your faith while you wait. We're going, to, we're going to also talk about getting tested in your faith because he will test your faith in order to grow your faith. Today, today though, he, he says, Moses, go tell them to let my people go. And you're thinking, all right, here comes the miracle. God's going to come through. Only they had to go over and over and over and over again before they even got to get let go. And, and then when they get let go, like, then here comes the army. Now they got to go through a Red Sea. Like, why couldn't God just part? The it was a process. So oftentimes the miracles in our lives will come through a process. And now they're on the other side, 
and they're free, and they're just giving and giving and giving. To me, I'm like, what is going on here? How did these slaves who are now free just start giving? have this generosity thing. I'm like, maybe Moses just got lucky. Like, whatever. Like, he's just like some lucky leader. And these people, this group, they're just like all into it. Um, you know, maybe it was like an end of the year offering type thing, a Christmas offering, you know, and people were just happy to give. And then my brain like explodes because I'm like, they didn't even have Christmas yet. Um, so, you know, what's going on? It's a deeper issue. Generosity, this type of generosity, is much deeper and more complex. It's, it's deeply rooted in something. And this is what I want to pick up on that, and, and kind of show you the heart behind generosity and making it something about who I am rather than something that I do. So I, I made an acronym. It's called SLAVE, all right? If you're taking notes, um, you can write this down. S is for salvation. And, and the, the statistics say 95% of people who take notes make it into heaven. So uh, <laughs> uh, if you want to take some notes, it's okay to take some notes here. S stands for salvation. Okay? They knew, they knew they were saved by God alone. They knew that there was nothing that they brought to the table. It was through his mercy, through his power, through his grace that they were at where they were at. And so uh, when I think about salvation in our culture, in America, I don't, I don't know that a lot of people think of about it in that term, in those terms. Like, oh, I, everything I have is from God. Everything has been given to me. That's, that's why I'm saved. I brought nothing to the table. If I were to ask just kind of common on the street, how, how someone gets saved, or how does somebody make it into heaven, a, probably a, a general common theme is I'm a good person. Like, I'm, I, I, I'm not Putin. I'm not Hitler. I'm not a monster. I'm not this horrible, I've never murdered anyone, right? I'm a, good, I'm a good person. What would, it, what would it take? And we have this kind of view. This can even happen in Christian circles or even in our, in our own brain. We might say something, but we really behind the scenes is like, you know, I was a bad person and I gave my life to Jesus and now I'm a good person. Or maybe I wasn't a bad person. Maybe I was just like a little bit bad. I wasn't too bad. And then God made me good. But can I tell you something, friends? Can I tell you something, church, that's not what the Bible describes when it describes our life? In the book of Ephesians, it says that you, once you were dead because of your disobedience, because of your sin, you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now, that's a pretty uh, intense word right there. And that's how the Bible would describe our salvation. He says, you're dead. You're not even a bad person. You were dead. And dead people, guess what? There's nothing they can do to make them alive. Once they're gone, they're gone. So this is how it describes us in terms with our relationship with God. You were dead in your sins. No hope. And it's only through the grace of God that we're saved. Now, you're like, okay, great. We're talking about death and sin. This is like not fun at all. Here's the good news. And because people who deconstruct their faith, they hate this. 
They hate this. People who are questioning faith, they hate this. Well, I'm not a bad person. How could we, you know, I'm, I'm born into sin. I'm born a bad person. Like, that just does how could a loving God just consider me as, as sinful from the start or something like that, okay? Th- here's the beauty of it, because we don't see it. Like, God says, you're not bad, and then you do, st- you're, you're, you're good. He says, he describes it as in death, and alive. And the beauty that of the gospel is the good news of Jesus. He's saying, listen, you were dead, so stop trying to earn God's favor. Stop trying to work and do all the religious stuff and do all the things to make God think that you're good now. He's saying, because you can't, you can't do it. And God says, through Jesus, his work on the cross and the resurrection, he's like, that's the work. That's the only work that needed to be done to make you right. So you don't, that's, you don't have to do a thing to make God like you. You don't have to do a thing to make God love you. That's the beauty of this verse. You were dead in your sins. Bad news, but uh-oh. God made a way where you don't have to do it. I mean, if you flip it around, It would be like, okay, well, then I was bad, then I'm good. Then how good are you doing right now? If that's the way that God works, that you got to do enough good works to earn it, to get into heaven, how are you doing right now? Has anyone seen your scoreboard? (laughs) And and what is the scorecard and criteria that's going to get you in? Like, that's a life of misery, Well, I gotta, I gotta do the religious thing. I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. You've done that, and it drove you crazy. And this guy just says, "Hey, would you just receive it? Stop working so hard. When you start receiving this, and you start understanding salvation, that it all came from God. Well, then I'm not working to earn God's favor. I work out of the overflow and the blessing. Like I just have received the gift, and this is who I am now, and this is how I live." It's not an obligation. They saw it as an opportunity to express their gratitude. That's, I guess that's what I'm getting at here. It's gratitude. The core of generosity is gratitude. Thanksgiving. With, with, until we understand death to life, spiritual gratitude is an impossibility. It comes down to that grateful heart. These people in Exodus, they understood it. They understood this was not an obligation to give. Oh, I got to give. I got to do. No, it was an opportunity to express. Lordship, L. Lordship. Bible says, Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. Right? You, they're going to be at war with one another. God gave these guys a direction. Moses led them to saying, hey, we're going mobile church here. We're going to build a tabernacle. We are going to build a place where we can worship God. And, and they followed that direction. God has given you and I direction on how to live this life. You, you, and it's clear. Like That's kind of what makes this so tense sometimes. The, the passages in the Bible that I wrestle with the most aren't the ones that are most obscure. Sometimes it's the ones that are most plain and clear. Like, you do not have to wonder, does God want me to live a generous life? You don't have to wonder that. 
you, you know the answer to that. And, and these guys said, hey, I'm, you're my Lord. In fact, in, 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 uh, in Romans, it says, for if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So God not only saves you, but you're going to say, you are the Lord. You are the boss of my life. You reign over everything. And so sometimes I, I ask the question to myself, as well as to everyone else, how could we say that we trust Jesus with our eternity, but we won't trust him with our finances? We're going to trust you with our salvation, the unseen. Oh, man, but with the seen, Lord? With, the, with what's in my hand? Oh, sometimes that's the hardest things to trust God with are the things that are right in front of us. When you get this, when you get this, and you start letting him be the Lord of your life, you start becoming a leader in God's eyes. He, he said, hey, I got somebody who gets this. I got someone who says he's a Lord, not just in finances, in every area of my life. This guy is, gonna, is going to submit and obey because he knows I got a better plan for him. And then God says, that's someone who I can work with. That's someone who's going to lead. That's someone who, hey, guess what? I gave them two talents, and they turned that into four talents. And there was this guy that I gave five talents, and he got scared, and he hid it, and he, he buried his, his stuff, and he didn't get anything on return. He's going to say, hey, take the, the guy who was afraid to do anything with what I gave him, those gifts, take those and give it to the one who I know who's going to use it. That's a leader. When, when you start to live this stuff out, he's like, that's someone who's a leader in my church. V is for vision, or, or A, I'm going to skip letters here. A is for able. They believe that God is able to do anything here. They had just seen him do some things. Now they're starting to give. They're like, hey, God's able to do it. We're going to provide and do what he, he's, he's not only saved us, he's our Lord, but he's able to, to provide. Now, there's a dirty little word here that, that we don't like. It's called greed when it comes to money. Greed. And now, here's what I know about you and here's what I know about me. Nobody in here thinks they're a greedy person. All right? We're not going to admit to saying, hey, I'm greedy, I'm stingy. All right? Greed hides. And we mask it, we hide it as a virtue. I'm a saver. I'm a planner. I'm, I'm, I'm help, I'm got, I want to help my kids out so they don't have to go through the things that, that I want to go through. Or we do the, use the churchy term. I'm, I'm a good, trying to be a good steward of things. All right, Greed will hide. Those things aren't bad, but we will couch them in terms that makes us kind of look less greedy because it will hide and mask itself behind being a, a virtue. Greed will tell a story. Greed tells a story. It says, I owe me. It, it, it's a story of fear. Your story might be like, hey, I didn't have very much when I was little, and I know what that was like to be with that. And I want you to be wise when it comes to, to money and how you, how you deal with money. God wants you to save. God wants you to plan. God, I think those things are good, but we got to understand that sometimes those things will eke out every now and then. And it's a picture of what's going on in our heart. And, and God is able, but sometimes we wonder, is he really? Like, typically for a lot of us, we'd be like, Mike, I would love to one day give to the church. 
but I don't think I can right now. When I, when I have a little bit more, then I'll start being generous. I want to be generous, but I don't have enough right now, and, and so I don't, I don't know that I can. I will do that later. Can I tell you a little bit of an inside tip on people who are generous? They don't, they don't give when they have more. Generous people in your life, they started when they had less. It is a discipline that they said, I'm, this is, I didn't become generous by accident. All right, I had to put this thing into practice slowly but surely. When I, had a, when I learned how to give with a little, I was ready to be able to give when I had a lot. When I worked with teenagers in the, in the youth group, we would, they started to get their first jobs, and we would kind of challenge them on this and just say, hey, you know, do what you want, but at the same time, I challenge you to say, hey, don't keep all of that for yourself. Like, be generous. Because right now, you're getting a paycheck, and that seems awesome as a teenager. You just made $100 for that week. Amazing, right? But when you start making $1,000, $2,000 a week or something like that, that's a big boy paycheck, Right? And that's a little bit harder. Hey, $10? I thought it was hard to give $10. It's going to be really hard to give $100 or $1,000 or $2,000 or $5,000. Like on a weekly, like, well, how do I, bah, bah, bah. and we said, learn that early. Learn that early. Greed, most of us, we don't think we're greedy because we have great intentions. I, I, one day, I want to be generous, Right? I'm not greedy because I want to be in that position and go, but greed doesn't work like that. It's action, not intention, that gets you into the generous status, right? James would, would say, what kind of brother would you be if you saw somebody who was in need and say, hey, I'm with you, man, you're good to go, and then they walk away without helping the person. Intention does nothing in this process. So how do you fight greed? How do you fight greed? It's real simple. Is generosity. Greed is that thing that's in the heart that goes hidden, and the way you fight it, the way you get rid of it, is just practicing generosity. And you're trusting in the whole time that God's able. This is what it says in Malachi chapter 3. I know, oh man, that's almost noon. I'm, I'm going to try to make it through these next two letters. <laughs> um, it says, bring all the tithes to the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. And he says, try it. Put me to the test on this. He's trying to say, trust me. And that's what it all comes down to. It's a story. Greed is a story of fear. If I do this, then God may not come through in the way I want to or the way I expect him to. So I better owe me. I owe me because I don't know if God can. I don't know if he's able. I don't know if he's will. And that is a story of, of fear. I don't know if I'm going to have enough. And that is the appetite of greed. That is greed. It will never be enough, which is exactly what you fear. You break that by putting your trust in God. This is the only part in Scripture where God says, test me. You're not supposed to test him on anything else. He's like, this one, test me. And this is not one of those where he's like, oh, test me, give me $10, and next week I'm going to give you $100, okay? I'm your pastor, all right? Look at me because I'm looking at you. 
I'm not going to preach that message to you because I got to see you next week. All right? And I know that's not how it works. All right? It's not a prosperity gospel. All right? This is a generosity gospel. And this is how he wants you to live your life. He's like, this is how I designed it. And he'll take care of you. Now, when I started doing this, when I started doing this and putting God to the test, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm, and I'm going to kind of start living this way. The next letter kind of came out. Vision. V. Vision. He started to unlock some vision in my life. And so while you may not get $100 back on year 10, you may even, in fact, I've seen this. I'll give you a little bit of a warning. I've seen people who start giving. They're like, okay, I'm going to put God to the test. I'm going to start giving. And then come back in two weeks because I'm going to talk about God testing your faith because then like the, the heater, the furnace goes out or you need two, tire, two new tires or something like something negative goes and it's going to really put you to the test to see are you serious on that. I'm not trying to be down on your money, but I'm just like, you'll get tested in this. But God starts to unlock some things in your life. Sometimes it might be peace. Sometimes it might be that next entrepreneurial thing. Sometimes it might just be wisdom and direction or an open door in the job or career or something like that. He starts to open up some things in your life when you start living generously. All right, so he, they knew that they were saved by him. They brought nothing to the table. They made him Lord of their life. They knew he was able because they brought nothing to the table. And then he starts unlocking vision. They, they were 400 years. All they knew were slave, was slavery. They knew. They knew. They were born into slavery. They knew when they grew up they were going to be slaves, and they knew they were most likely going to die slaves. Slavery was the vision. That's all they knew. Then God shows up, and when God shows up, promised land. They had a freedom and a vision to see something new when they started God was in their life. And then they started giving like crazy in this passage. It unlocks something. Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 in the brand new church, when they started going, they started talking about the new church who changed the world. This church changed the world. And as we studied back in January, if you're trekking with us in January, what got the world's attention? It wasn't their theology. Yes, Jesus, that's the church answer, but it was how they lived their lives. They saw this group of Christians interacting with one another, uniting together, loving, with one another, loving on one another, generous to everyone. Barnabas, it said in Acts chapter 4, sold a whole piece of land and gave it to the church so people in need could, could be fed, could be taken care of. That act of generosity caught the attention of the people around them, and people said, I want some of that. I've never seen anything like that. And I would tell you in 2022, that type of generosity of just giving of yourself still communicates love, still grabs the attention of people. We're like, how does that, that person is someone who I want to be like. What is going on in their life? How do they live so generous? And the generous people know that that's just not something they do. It is who they are. So it can unlock some vision. And then the last letter was everything. Everything. They knew everything they knew was slavery. Now everything had been set free and everything they had was coming from them. Kind of the big idea in this was that apart from God and His mercy, they had no hope. And, and as we look at the world's circumstances today, Sometimes it feels like it's just completely hopeless. Like, what can I do? 
we can pray. But beyond that, I, I feel frustrated and angry because I'm like, there's not a whole lot I can do. But that's not on me. I am not the savior of the world. I'm called to call on the one who is, who can, who is able, who knows all things, and, and trust that he's got a better plan than I do, and I'm going to call out to him. But beyond just the world scope, I've got a personal responsibility right here and right now to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. To be a, a, a hope and a light to the people around me. You are called to be salt and light right here, right now, in the midst of a chaotic situation. He's still calling you into the mess to go and love people, to go be a generous people to Los Alamos. Not because we have to, but it's an opportunity to express how much God loves us and loves them. You cannot separate, you cannot separate this message of giving and the gospel. They, they go together. Like if the noun of the Bible is Jesus, like everything is about Jesus, everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. Everything in the New Testament points backwards to Jesus. He's the noun. The verb is giving. For God so loved the world that He gave. It is who God is. When you, when you live a generous lifestyle, you are reflecting the character of your Father. And when people see that and get a glimpse of that, they're like, ah, I like that. It captures their attention. It may not, and, and it gets them going in the right direction. This is a message of who God is, not a message of give Jesus your money. It's where you give Jesus your life. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. He, he knows, he knows this thing about how he created life, this desire for more. He, he knows that money, possessions, stuff are connected with our heart. And so he's not trying to take over your money. He just doesn't want your money to take over you. So he's saying, hey, trust me with this. Trust me with this. It's a trust exercise. It's a faith exercise. Ah, God, I trust you with the unseen, but the seen, ah. And he's like, if you only knew, I want to I wanna put more blessing into your hand. Remember what Angel and Russell said? They said, hey, you're going to reap what you sow. There's a harvest. I want to put the harvest in your hand, but you're, you got a closed fist. I can't put anything into a closed fist. Would you just open up here so I can put some more seed in there? It's the principle of the seed. You plant a seed. One seed can multiply exponentially. He's going to bless you, not so that you can be blessed, but so you can bless even more. This is the principle of life. All right? So can we, let's, on that note, let's stand together. Let's stand together. I want to close this thing out. Jesus, we know that you can do more with our lives than we can do on our own. And I know we're talking specifically about money, 
But this can go into any area of our lives, our time, one of the most valuable things that we have. And yet we'll use that all for ourselves. Our energy, another valuable resource. I will spend all of my energy on the things that I want to spend all of my energy on. But yet a generous life will look for intentional ways to go and bless other people with our finances, with our time, with our energy, with our words, to be generous with our words. There's so many areas. This lifestyle of generosity is more deeply rooted than just money, than just giving. Stop giving to the church, as we said at the beginning. It's like, ah, this is a lifestyle that you want us to live. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to the podcast this week. I hope you felt inspired to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Just a couple next steps that you can take coming out of this. One, rate and review the podcast. That really does get the message out to other people faster, as well as click subscribe to make sure you get the latest content as it rolls out each week. And finally, if you want to partner with us financially, head on over to our website, click the word give. That's going to get the message out through our ministries further and faster. Have a wonderful week. God bless.